How are we? Good? Good? Some of you are good? Hey, as the lights come up, um, I'm glad you're here. Uh, if I haven't met you yet, my name is David. I'm the pastor here. And uh, we are finishing up just a very short two-week series called Scandalous Lyrics, uh, where we've been looking at, uh, last week we looked at the hymn, Come Thou Fount, um, which was a tongue twister for me. I kept saying like, uh, uh, hum hymns and hymn hums, and oh man, if you were here last week, uh, I was not on anything, I promise. Um, uh, so hopefully I'll be able to articulate a little bit better this weekend. So if you have a Bible, turn to Second Corinthians. We're going to look at a passage in chapter 12. Um, I'm going to be reading out of the ESV. If you don't have a Bible, there are some back at the Connection Center over here. Um, and uh, if you don't have one, uh, we'd love for you to take one of those and just make that your Bible. That's our gift to you. Um, so this morning we're, we're talking about when God meets us in pain. When God meets us in pain. And, and here's the honest truth. We're not fond of pain. We're not fond of pain or even, even a slight discomfort. I don't know about you, but I know for me, I am not fond of pain, whether physical, emotional, spiritual. We just don't like it. And so I think there's, there's areas where we try to avoid it. We, we kind of run away from it. And, and we reject the idea even that, that pain could be good for us. There could actually be some good in pain. And I want to give you some examples of people who are trying to avoid pain. Um, these are some actual responses uh, that a staff of, a, of a, uh, um, a wilderness area received from people leaving comment cards um, uh, around the trailhead and things like that at, at those little boxes that you see on trails sometimes um, that say, you know, like, leave your comment here. And so these are, I kid you not, these are real comments of people who are trying to avoid some pain. Okay, so here's the first one. Trails need to be wider so people can walk while holding hands. Trails, here's the second. Trails need to be reconstructed. Please avoid building trails that go up hills. <laughs> Number three, too many bugs and leeches and spiders and spider webs. Please spray the wilderness to rid the area of pests. These are real, okay? Number four, please pave the trails so in the winter they can be plowed. Number five, chair lifts need to be in some places so we can get to the wonderful views without having to hike up them. Number six, the coyotes made too much noise last night and kept me awake while camping. Please eradicate these annoying animals. Number seven, a small deer came... I think this is probably my favorite. A small deer came into my camp and stole my jar of pickles. <laughs> is there a way I can get reimbursed? Number eight, Reflectors need to be placed on trees every 50 feet so people can hike at night with flashlights. They get better. Escalators would help on steep uphill sections. The places where trails do not exist are not well marked. <laughs> this is my absolute favorite. Too many rocks in the mountains. Isn't a mountain just a big rock? Like, can we just... I want to find these people. Um, some of them are probably you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but I think for some of us, for some reason, we try to avoid pain. All of these people, what they have in common with their, with their comments that they're writing to some of, uh, to this staff is that they're trying to avoid pain. They're trying to avoid a difficult task on the road. And, and, and here's the thing is that it's inevitable. 
Like if you go hiking, I grew up around a lot of trails. If you go hiking, there's going to be hills. There's going to be sticker bushes. If you grow up around trails, you know, or even, you know the remedies to, if you get cut on the way, if you get uh, like a stinging nettle, you know, you know, go find a fern, you know, um, and, and those kind of things. So why we try to avoid pain is just kind of beyond me. But yet we all do it, even if we understand Even if we see someone else avoiding going, why are they avoiding pain? And yet if we were in that midst of the pain that they were going through, we would also be avoiding it. Because we don't like pain. But here's the truth is that we all go through it. At one point in your life, in in any area of your life, you're going to go through pain. And in fact, what's important for you to understand this morning is that that is where God desires to meet you, is in the midst of your pain. It's not before you go through pain. It's not after you go through pain. God desires to meet you in the midst of the pain that you're walking through. And for some of you, you've walked in with some pain. Uh, maybe, maybe this past week, maybe this past month, maybe the last several years of your life have just felt like they are riddled with pain. And I'm, I'm talking about all kinds. I mean, for pain um, of loss, grief, maybe there's problems in your life that just, be, that just feel really painful and they feel like they don't have a resolve. And so I, I think what's important for us to understand um, as we look at the story of, of Paul and as the story of the, the writer who wrote, It Is Well, that we need to understand that, that the lessons of life that we're all gonna walk through are almost always taught in the classroom of suffering. They're almost always taught in the classroom of suffering. It's not when everything's happy and peachy, but God uses those moments where we're walking through suffering. So whether for you, you are uh, just kind of suffering through a season of loneliness, maybe that's the pain for you. Maybe you feel lonely. And and I think it's not just uh, um, the... uh, the, the singles, although I think you guys struggle with a unique loneliness that sometimes we, we uh, take for granted, us married people. We take for granted your loneliness. I think uh, for some of you, you're probably dealing with the, the pain related to health. Some of you have shared some of the health things going on in your lives. That, that's quite a big pain. And, and then uh, maybe for you, it's the heartbreak of grief and, and some, some loss. Maybe you've dealt with some loss and that's where you're at. And so as we read in 2 Corinthians, we're going to talk about a guy named Paul. And if you don't know Paul um, or, or how he fits into the Bible, this is a guy who um, you could probably interject him into every area of life. Um, I mean, Christian killer, zealot, religious guy, political, turned Christ follower. Okay, so Paul, if you're looking like, man, okay, who do we, who do we look to who Jesus used to kind of relate to this story? You just go to Paul. Just go to Paul, because there's all these areas where, where Paul became all things uh, while following Christ. And he fits into all these stories. And so if you don't know Paul, that's okay. But what I want to share with you is, for Paul, pain was not foreign. So where we pick up is him having this amazing revelation from God. And then in the midst of that, he says there's just kind of this thorn in his side. And so we're going we're gonna to look at this along with the, the story of the writer of It Is Well With My Soul. But I just want to add a little biblical context for us as we look at this. And, and so I'm just going to read you verse 7 and 8 out of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 
Paul says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. Now, these are the visions he's seen and the incredible things that are set before him. He says, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. To keep me from becoming conceited. And three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. So I just want to stop there because what Paul says is he's, he's pleading with God that this pain in his life, this thorn in his side would leave him. And so we see this throughout Paul's life, but specifically in this piece. And we also see this from the writer Horatio Spafford. Horatio Spafford was a man who lived from 1828 to 1888. And let me just tell you a little, bit, a little bit about Horatio Spafford, if you don't know. He was a wealthy Chicago lawyer with a thriving legal practice, a beautiful home, a wife, four daughters, and one son. He was also a devout Christian and was dedicated to learning scripture. Horatio Spafford loved the word of God. And he was also a good friend of a, an evan, evangelist that you may know uh, called Dwight L. Moody. And him, those two were good friends. And at the very height of Horatio's financial and professional success, him and his wife suffered the loss of their son. And through disease, they lost their son. And then shortly thereafter, on October 8, 1871, the great Chicago fire happened. And destroyed almost everything that Horatio owned in his business. Almost everything. And so he has loss of son and loss of success. I mean, if that doesn't just punch a man in his soul, I don't know what will. But then, two years later, in 1873, Spafford scheduled just a boat trip to, to Europe for his family, his four daughters, him and his wife to just go and just kind of rest and to just kind of recover from the loss that they felt. Uh, from, from their brother, their son, and also of the business. And in the tragedy, he sends them off and he also desired to go to Europe to join uh, Moody on an evangelism uh, path to just kind of go and help him and, and also take some time to recover from the loss. So Spafford put his uh, four daughters and his wife on a boat to go and head to England. He stayed behind because he had some last minute things that came up with his businesses as he was dealing with. And several days later, he received a letter that all four of his daughters had drowned, that there was a collision of two boats and his daughters had drowned and died. And then he gets a letter with this information saying from his wife, saved alone. So with Horatio in the midst of all of this, with all four of his daughters dead, he, he goes with a heavy heart. He gets on a boat. I don't know if for you, but if I know that my family's died on a boat, the last place I want to be is on a boat. And so Horatio gets on another boat, headed to his wife in England to process this with her, to, to just try to recover from the pain and there on the boat, he writes the song, It Is Well With My Soul. But let me just tell you where this purpose um, comes from in his pain. Because in our pain, there is a purpose. 
in our pain, there is a purpose. And so for for Horatio, the purpose that we see really comes from the, the first verse of this song that he wrote. When he says, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. But here's the interesting thing. As I did some research on these lyrics, it's not actually originally thou hast taught me to say. What Horatio wrote and what he understood was thou has taught me to know it is well with my soul. Now see, wherever you're at in the midst of your pain, it's easy for you to say things. It's a lot harder for you and I to know things, especially when it comes to Jesus. Because there's a lot who say a lot about Jesus. But for Horatio, it was personal. So the reason he could say with confidence, with full confidence, it is well with my soul in the midst of his business loss, in the midst of losing his son, his four daughters, and everything before him, he can say it is well with my soul because he knew Jesus. So he says, thou has taught me to know it is well, it is well with my soul. And he says this because he knows Jesus. See, there is no greater purpose in our lives. There is no greater purpose in your life and in my life than to see how God is working in and through us for his glory. In and through us for his glory. But our pain is hard. I mean, let me not, I'm not trying to take that away from you. Our pain is hard. Whatever you're walking through is hard. I mean, I know for myself, I've been going through some things the last couple of weeks that just kind of, that just kind of rocked me because I, I planned this topic. I, I'm a planner. So I planned this weeks ago. And then over the last two weeks, stuff has just happened that just feels like a punch to the soul. And so in my, in the midst of my own depression, in the midst of my own struggle, here's what I find is that sometimes my prayer seems to be, um, my question to God seems to be, God, do you hate me? In the midst of my own struggle, in the midst of my own depression, not for you, but for me, I just kind of ask that question in that struggle, God, do you hate me? And see, as I've continued to seek God over the last couple of weeks, here's what I'm finding. See, I'm seeking the true God. There's not the problem. But the problem is I'm asking the wrong question. That's what I realized. I've, I've just realized this. I'm asking the wrong question because now my question has become God what are you trying to teach me? See, that's a whole shift in focus. The problem's still there. The pain's still there. If you walk out of here this morning and go, why is the pain still there? It's because God's not trying to give you a quick fix. The world can offer you that. If you walk out of here, the world can offer you that, but that's not what God cares about. He's not trying to give you a quick fix. He's trying to give you himself in relationship And so this is where God meets Paul. This is where God meets Spafford. And this is where God met me. That that this is where he wants to meet you. This is where in the midst of your pain, this is where he wants to meet you. 
He wants to take our pain and use it for his purpose, for his glory. And so in our pain, there is a purpose. And then the second thing we see is that in our pain, the point of our pain is our provider. In our pain, the point is our provider. In the last two verses that we're going to look at with Paul, he writes about the provider in his pain. He writes about the provider, and we'll see this in verse 9 and 10. He says, but he said to me, here's God's response to Paul. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, now Paul saying in response to God's answer, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul says, for the sake of Christ, not for himself, for the sake of Christ, he'll endure all these things. So his, his focus shifts. So what Paul is saying is the point of his life, including his pain and his suffering, is for the purpose and plan of his provider, Jesus. I mean, whatever it is. I mean, if you know the story of Paul, things don't get better. He doesn't, he doesn't go on to a life of, of uh, perfect wellness. He doesn't go on to where God just takes that thorn out of his side. He doesn't go on to uh, clean living and good living where everything's perfect. He goes on to keep living in battles. He keeps going on to keep going through shipwrecks. He, he gets bit by a snake at one point. Everybody thinks he's going to die and he doesn't. I mean, these are, the, these are the contexts of Paul and he just can't quit because he's not defined by his pain. He was defining his focus by his provider by his provider. And we see this parallel so perfectly with Spafford. That as he lays before us that in the midst of his pain, in the midst of Spafford's pain, what he is more focused on is his savior, Jesus. Pain doesn't go away, but his focus shifts. So then why can he write this lyric that just seems ludicrous? How could it be well? How can it be well for him to write that? It's because Spafford knew Christ loved him. He knew Christ loved him and he saw it in the cross. And so when Spafford gets towards the middle of his writing, he has Christ taking all of his pain, all of his pain on. He lays out that all of his previous successes are now in Christ and all of his sin. And so he says, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. And so for Spafford, it is well because the focus is not his pain. The pain is still there, but it's not his focus anymore. The pain is not his focus. It is his provider, 
Jesus in the midst of everything. It's his provider, Jesus. And so let me give you an example of of something I think we need to really um, just apply as we think about Jesus becoming the provider in all things. Okay, think about this box as you. Okay, so this box is you. And for you, you know Jesus. You know Jesus. Personally, you've, you've surrendered your life to him. You're committed to a group of believers that is centered around Jesus. And so that is what is in the midst of your life. But then for you, maybe there's some pain that comes up. And there's pain of a previous relationship whatever that relationship is. There's some pain there. And you just have some questions and some thoughts that you just can't tackle. It just seems like they they just consume your mind. And so in goes the pain on top of you trying to maintain your relationship with Jesus. And then you hit some struggles, whatever they may be, financial, relational, you hit some struggles. And for you, then that that just piles on even more. And then for you, you just kind of have some, just kind of a heartbreak moment. And you're like, man, I'm I'm trying to make it about Jesus. I'm trying really hard. And so you, you get better about your Bible study. You get better about showing up. You get better about tithing. Something's gotta work. But then you just keep feeling those problems. And on and on, the problems and the struggles and the pain and then the problems and the struggles and the pain and the problems just all consume. They just consume every part of your life. And, and, and somewhere along the lines, you just feel like, where does Jesus fit in all of this? And, and it's just like this focus that gets harder and harder. And here's what I think we need to understand about us as, as it comes to following Jesus, what goes in and what goes out is a, re, is a direct reflection of your focus. What goes in and what goes out for you is a direct reflection of your focus. So it has to begin with our provider, Jesus, and even end with our provider, Jesus. But that takes surrender. That takes surrender of our pain. Not that it's going to go away, but surrendering even if it never does. Even if it never does for his plan in it. So what that means is you then going before God and just saying, okay, God, here's all of me. Would you become the focus? And would you cover all of it? And what that means is then the other stuff may go on, but it's not what's in you. Those things may be around you, but what's in you is Jesus. And all that other stuff is set aside. But that takes surrender. And that means something completely different because that's where your focus begins to shift, where God meets you in your pain and he calls you to surrender. Isaiah said it perfectly in Isaiah 64, verse eight. He says, yet you, Lord, are our father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. There is no greater surrender than that. 
because it is saying, God, however you mold me, you choose. Whatever happens to me, you choose. Whatever I walk through, you choose. Because God has a greater plan. And see, there's times where we try to avoid those pains because if you think about that in the, in the sense of, of a potter's hands and, and, a, and a clay, that, that if that falls, it's cracked, right? I mean, if it just shatters. And for us, we're going, man, then, then I'm just a broken. I can't be used. Like, God can't use that. That, that can't be what, what, is, what is for God's glory. But I think a great example is um, in China, when, when something breaks, whether it's, it's China or, or a clay pot, um, they will, uh, whatever their financial ability is, they will fill that crack with gold, saying that that has, that has built it upon an even deeper and more meaningful character. So those aren't just like, oh man, that's, that's to be disregarded. It then in that cracked pot, that, that carries even more meaning. And I think that speaks also of our creator, that he uses the broken pieces of our lives. He uses those things. So wherever you're at, wherever you are struggling, God wants to use that stuff. I mean, a great example is that uh, I wrote this idea out for this series about three weeks ago. And Monday was a really hard day. And I never knew the two would parallel. Because Monday I lost a dear friend. Um, for some of you, you probably know the story of what happened in Bonnie Lake with the youth pastors um, and their son. That was a dear friend of mine. And uh, I lost a dear friend, but I am sure heaven gained a great worship leader. Um, my buddy Josh was killed in that accident um, down in Bonnie Lake, along with his wife, Vanessa, and their eight-month-old son. Um, and Josh and Vanessa actually planned to come up because I wanted you to meet them. Uh, they were coming up in two weeks, um, partly for you to meet them and for our boys to meet and um, wanted to just get closer in relationship. And I remember even talking with Josh a couple weeks ago about this series because um, I don't do things with gold and I made the text gold and he thought that was cool. Um, but on our phone conversation, Josh said, will you be praying for us? Um, because we feel like God's calling us um, outside of our church. Like we're done here. And he said, there's no division. We love the people, but we just feel like God's saying we're done. We don't know what that means. And I had no idea, neither did he, that yeah, God was calling them out because God was calling them home. God was calling them home. So we know when we have relationship with Jesus, we know like Spafford, like Paul, when we say it is well with my soul in the midst of all of this, it is well with my soul, not because our pain is gone, but because what our focus becomes is our savior, our provider, who in all things is Jesus. In all things is Jesus. So we know because of our relationship with Jesus, 
when we choose to follow him. It's no longer defining by our pain, but by our provider. Let's pray.